I'm Mia McCarthy, a 2022 Mariah's Challenge scholarship winner, and here's what Mariah's Challenge means to me. It means staying true to myself and not giving in to peer pressure. It means saying no to drinking in high school and never getting into a vehicle with a driver who is impaired. It means setting a positive example for the generations that follow. It means growing old and helping others do the same. I'm Mia McCarthy, and I accept Mariah's Challenge. I hope you join me and show that you too are butte tough. Today's podcast is presented by Thriftway Superstops. Stop by your neighborhood Thriftway today and find a clean, friendly, professional, and safe environment. You will never find a casino at Thriftway. Thriftway's fountain drinks also taste just like they are supposed to. That is a big deal for me, and I definitely cannot say that about other convenience stores. Download the TLC app, and every sixth fountain drink is free. You can also take advantage of big discounts on pizza, grab-and-go favorites, and fresh brewed coffee. TLC members also receive five cents off every gallon of top-tier fuel each and every day. Stop by your neighborhood Thriftway today because everybody deserves some TLC. Thriftway Superstops is a proud sponsor of the Buttecast. Now, let's get the show started. Welcome to the Buttecast with Bill Foley. It's a podcast about the greatest city in the world. You, America. Amen. Let's meet the people and characters who make Butte the richest hill on earth. Woo-hoo! Now, here's my dad, Bill Foley. Proud to be from Butte, America, USA. Ten days have passed since I posted the last full episode of the Buttecast. If you listen to me read my second column from last week, you will see that there is a good reason for that. My little dog Boogie, a Shih Tzu Lhasa Ops across with one heck of an attitude, had a couple of surgeries early last week. He tore his ACL and he had to have some stones removed from his bladder. So Boogie needed some full-time attention. With the kids in school and the wife working a real job, I spent a whole lot of time holding my little guy on my lap. He needed that because... He really was a hurting unit. I'm glad to report, though, that Boogie has turned the corner. He is doing so well now that my biggest challenge is trying to stop him from running and jumping on a surgically repaired leg. But I did get the chance today to sit down with former longtime Butte Silver Bowl auditor Danette Harrington for a great conversation about the neighborhood she grew up in, the Dublin Gulch. You have probably heard me talk about the Gulch a lot lately, and I don't expect that to slow down. Apparently, Superfund partners have zeroed in on dumping in the Gulch. The toxic material will come from the center of town, and it is a shame that it has taken them so long to get to this area for cleanup. I got a pretty good view of that during an art show Saturday evening, and it was really eye-opening, to say the least. The material definitely needs to be moved, and it needs to be dumped somewhere. But we cannot let that be in the gulch, where we can at least see the remnants of one of the all-time great Butte neighborhoods. I plan to do everything I can to stop that dumping, no matter how hard they might try to explain to me that it is the only option. I know better than that. We don't need toxic waste moved from one neighborhood only to be dumped near another. Talk about robbing Peter to pay Paul. While the Gulch is just a memory now, it was always a magical place. Harrington lived there until she was 29 years old and she remembers every name and every nook and cranny of the old neighborhood. Listen as she describes what it was like to grow up there and why it is such a special place. Listen to the names and the nicknames as she brings the Dublin Gulch back to life. 
Listen in, and you just might see why the Dublin Gulch is worth the fight. This is the first of what should be a fun week on the Buttecast. I had an interview lined up with the great Al James. Unfortunately, we have to put that one on hold for now. Hopefully, we will get the chance to catch up with Al very soon. This week will include an interview with Josh Vincent, a member of the 1991 Butte High State Championship football team. He was also a pretty good order on the field, and he might even be a better one off the field. Also, I'm going to try to catch up with Steve Stosich for a podcast later this week, or maybe early next week. It should be fun getting back in the swing of things now that Boogie appears to be on the mend. First off, let's catch up with one of the all-time great Butte rats, Danette Harrington. Well, Madam Auditor, I appreciate your time today. I know your time's valuable now. Oh, precious. You know, I know how these retired lives are. You got to take time to get out of your recliner every now and yeah. then. Yeah, well, my dad's retired, been retired for more than 10 years now, and he doesn't have anything to do, but he has to do it by a certain time. Well, exactly. The schedule is rough. <laughs> and so, he walks, at least he's walking. I do a lot of sitting. Yeah, he gets his walk in every day. That's good. Yeah, and, and of course, and he's the reason, he's the source of why I was started talking to you it was about the Dublin Colts, because he's the one who told me their plans of dumping in there. Well, and I had not a clue about it. I think I did hear from Debbie and, and Lee Whitney, but up until then I had no idea. And it was after, I think, Jeff had said he was going to have you call me. So I, I want to get involved. I'd rather get involved and get my two cents worth out there than to have it yeah. be destroyed or buried or gone before there's any kind of a protest against it. And I think that well, that's one of the reasons I want to get involved. Yeah, we got to get our, our word out there a little bit. Exactly. Let them know. And I was looking at it the other day. I took my daughter there to show her what I was talking about. And it's a mess. It just doesn't look good at you all know, right now. You know, it's a dump up there. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. When you look right around the warehouses and you look at the spray foam, which I'm assuming all the places had to be insulated to keep some heat inside. But it looks just like a garbage dump and the grounds look awful around it. And then I don't know what that one building is that would be like where Redneck Kelly's house was. It's kind of a, the engine room was on the right, and then the gallus frames with the little shiv wheels they had, uh-huh. that, were, that they called the idler. Yeah. And behind that is a, some kind of a gray, I don't know if it's a, a boxcar or something they put in, but that would have been sitting right where Redneck Kelly's house was. Is that In the that bottom was? of the yard, yeah. And that guy was... Uh, he must have been something else. But the, what an, I mean, it's one of the coolest names ever, right? Nick well, Kevin. you know, I don't know if you remember, but on my campaign cards, I had nicknames. Yeah. And Redneck was one of them. But Redneck wasn't ever in the Gulch when I was there. He was married and lived on Main Street. Oh, really? Yeah. So the other brothers were there, Danny and Willie, and then two sisters, Marg and Mamie. Yeah. So there were four of them living in the house. And they, they left, I think... Lit Kelly, their nephew, helped them find a house out in Hillcrest. So they were one of the first ones to leave the Gulch when they, when they made us leave. And when you think about it, we left in the September of '74, and they had done. They still have done nothing with that area. So those homes and those ladies that lost their, their touch with each other, all the moms that didn't drive, they could still have been there till they passed away instead of moving them out and having them find houses and. And they had to learn how to take the bus. They had to learn how to have a ride everywhere where they up here they could walk wherever they wanted yeah. to go. So it really was a useless trade. Overall, way better houses. They got moved into better neighborhoods, but 
It just was the, the sense of family of the people that lived in the Gulch. So you, you moved out in 74. 74. And the Kelly went in around 50, I'd right? I'd say the late, early 50s, 49, 50. Yeah, so the Kelly mine, it sits right, right in the heart yeah. of the Dublin Gulch. I didn't realize it was there that long, that people lived there. Yeah. And around that. Well, when they Gallus were building front. it, there used to be a fellow that was helping building, I don't know if it was the the Gallus frame or part of the crusher, but my father loved it because he wouldn't be singing Goodnight Irene while he was working. Oh, yeah. Quite a singer. He'd be in hair, or Dooney loved him. He said it was just a great, great place to sit out in the beer and out in the porch, drink your beer and listen to the guy sing. So you got to see him actually construct the oh, yeah. Gallus frame. Yeah. That's kind of cool. You, those are our, like our skyscrapers. You know, you mm-hmm. see the picture of the, you know, the famous picture of the guys eating lunch, building exactly. the, building the uh, building in New York, sitting on the beams. Yeah, you yeah. kind of envision that. Those guys building that. That must have been. Yeah, it was fun pretty amazing. And after they finally erected the engine room, and they put all the uh, the windows in, it just totally made it different because everything else was steel and in brackets where the engine room became a room. And then yeah. they put the crusher in. And the rest of it, the warehouses didn't go until years later. But they were really good to us kids when we were around there. We used to roller skate. Nobody had skates, but we had something that resembled skates yeah. tied onto your shoes. And they would let us roller skate around the engine room because it was the only flat piece of ground with pavement on it in the whole area. Yeah. And then the guys, when they had the carpenter shop up there that was helping building, and I said, it's amazing because we had stilts every day. We'd, they'd get on, they'd make us a pair of stilts. <laughs> And every kid in the gulch had a set of stilts. And then at night, you'd have a fire, and you were going to roast potatoes. You had to burn your stilts, so then you had to go the next day to get another pair of stilts. Oh. they say, didn't we just give you stilts yesterday? <laughs> so you had to use them for wood that yeah, night. Yeah, we had to use them for wood. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's not a flat spot in that gulch. No. It's, uh, I think you said everybody walks funny Crook because walk. of that. We all walk with a little slant because you always <laughs> had one leg higher than the other, no matter what direction you went. Yeah, that, at the one point that was there was quite a few houses in there though. That well, was a when I when I left, there was eleven. When my dad was young, there was a hundred houses on Hungry Hill, and mm. it was mostly most of those went with fire. If they had a fire, like a three or four houses, because we didn't have any fire hydrants or a fire department, yeah. also, so they went. Fires were pretty. They came from Centerville was our fire department, so they come over by the Badger, by the Speculator, down Anaconda Road, by the cement plant, yeah. take a left and come in the gulch, or a right, I guess, and come in the gulch. By then, yeah. the house was gone. Yeah, by the time they responded. Yeah. Yeah, because it was, uh, that wasn't in Butte Silver Bowl. It was county. Or in Butte, Butte then, it was Silver Bowl County, Silver, not Butte. It was yeah. county, yeah, it was the county, yeah. so we didn't have a fire department. And I can remember somebody told my father once it was the only street in the house that you had to go up to get in and up to get out <laughs> <laughs> pretty unique like that yeah and it's the best named neighborhood oh Maybe I hell's, know. Ki- hell's kitchen might give it a run i suppose but... i suppose but dublin gulch is good and then hungry hill which there is yeah. a place also in ireland that's, that's yeah. called hungry hill and uh that was where the steam pipes ran up yeah. and over to the cement plant which was on anaconda road yeah and it seems like that's, uh, you know, you have always, Butte people always wear, where they're from Butte on their, you know, on their badge, you know, like Dennis Leary's joke about being from New York City, he said, I'm from, you know, I served in Vietnam, said, yeah, so what, I'm from New York City, you know, and, and Butte, we're, you know, Butte's a lot like that, Truly. but the Gulch was like, it's such a sacred, I remember Hoagie's, and Mike and Jack talking about being from the Gulch when we yeah. played football for them, yeah. it was such a proud thing just saying the gulch they didn't have to say Dublin gulch just the gulch just the gulch you know and then we had our own baseball field how many neighborhoods a lot in those yeah. days some of them did but we had our own 
and never had a bass or a real ball. We had something <laughs> tied up with string that they used, and that was a long time. And I can remember one year, uh, my dad used to sweep the road so we could get our car up to the house, yeah. and it took them hours. And then the kids would go right after him and kick all the snow back on so we could sleigh ride. <laughs> yeah. And so he was down there sweeping the road one day, and Danny Hogarth was over sweeping the field, and, and Dooney said to Danny, what are you doing? And he said, I'm looking for my skis. And Dooney said to him, when did you leave them there? And he said, I left them there last summer, and I just can't find them. <laughs> He's trying to sweep the baseball field looking for his skis. Gee. Crazy, but poor Dooney shoveled the best years of his life. He spent mm -hmm. throwing ashes on the road so he could get the car up. I was out to throw ash to get a little traction. Yeah, a little traction. Uh, before we did the sand. Yes. Is much. We never had sand in the gulch. We had boulders. <laughs> yeah. They're still there. A lot They're of, still there, yeah. A lot of boulders. And, and a lot of trees still there. Mm -hmm. like, uh, like I think Lee Whitney, Whitney was telling me she could see the trees yeah, from her from backyard. From her and her hedge is still there. Yeah, she got. I think she clips them out when she, she did. got in there years ago. Well, I went up with uh, Patty Lee one day. Tom Powers took us up and I think somebody else and... Tom, or Patty and I went all the way up to Ida's house, which was too ridgely. The rest of the houses were all Summit Street. And the there was the 300 block, which I lived on, and the 500 block where the Skuckshay and, and Condinehy and the Cerniches lived in Hogarts. I think she was 533. And then down in Lee's yard and over to Plexi Olson and Harp O'Neill's, they were the 700 block. And so there was 11 houses when my mother left up there. And I think the, the rednecks had already moved by then, the Kellys. Really? I thought they were the last ones, but I guess not. No. They just built it around that yeah. property. Yeah. Which was kind of... Uh, yeah, that was done well before they bought us out. The was fence. it? Yeah. Yeah, they, he wouldn't sell them, and they, built, they yeah. built the fence right around the house. And actually, he wasn't there. It would have been his brothers yeah. and sisters that took care of it. And I think Lit moved them. I don't know what year they moved to the Hillcrest, but they got a real nice home out there. Really? Yeah. So it worked out, I guess. Yeah, but truly. But, of course, the connections, they lose forever. Though. That was it. All the houses were 100 times better than anything we had. But it destroyed the, I guess, the communication. The ladies could only talk to each other on the phone. They couldn't walk to each other's homes. And yeah. and it was it was a hard thing. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And and the, the sad thing is, is, as I said, they didn't really use that neighborhood no, for mining. No, they done nothing with it. And I was, we were up there last night, Jeff and his family and myself, and just rode around up there and when you look at it the gulch reminds you of a concave bowl and like the east side of it would be anaconda road closest to the pit the west side is on you know just almost over to touch corktown and it's like a concave bowl that went up to renwalls and the ridge you can still see the the trees on the top of the hill and the renwalls were so good to us growing up we used to go up and the and egg would let us play in the yard and give us lemonade yeah. and we played and the boys all played on the basketball court there was a basketball court on the very edge and it was just a great place and we used to go up that hill all the time and now Bonner's house is totally gone from the end of Center Street plus Renwalls is gone that was in the mine yard but it was it was a total different Centerville was a total different neighborhood than Dublin Gulch yeah, which I find that funny is that they're having a meeting with the residents of Centerville yeah. about the Dublin Gulch instead of talking with the people the who, people grew, from who came Gulch. from the Dublin Gulch. It just, I don't know what the connection is. Maybe it's because Foreman Park, Park is going to be filled at the end where that one point is all the way over to where Ida's house was. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the... 
think that's a plan. So it's not going to. It wouldn't be a gulch. No. It'd be no. a. It'd be a uh, slant hillside. It would be filled in, and then if they, you know, I think you mentioned something about they're going to put up some flags or tags or something that represented where the house was. Well, it would be like putting it on a flat wall on a map. Yeah. Because they wouldn't be able to tell the the uh, the difference of the levels because there was. You know, we had three houses in our row, and there was five coming down the 500 block. Ida was up on the ridge all by herself, and two ridgely, only one house all the years I grew up up there. But when my dad was a kid, the Sullivan house, they called it uh, Patty Up and Patty Down. They were both Patty Sullivans, but that's how you distinguish <laughs> that, who really? they were. Yeah. Your, your your dad grew up there, too? Yeah, he was born there. What was your dad's name? Dooney. Dan Harrington. Dooney. Yeah. Nobody went by their real no, name, though. No, Because like, you had your nickname thing. Had the nickname, and I had an Uncle Gluck and an Uncle Chick. <laughs> and when I would tell people that, they'd look at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. That's a great name. So. Yeah, truly. Yeah, Butte was, uh, Butte was the best for a nickname. Oh, I know. I know. And Jeff has been kind of putting a couple monikers on people all the time. He's kind of inherited that. I, mm. I don't use it much, but uh, it's wonderful to see kids get a nickname. My brother nicknamed both of my kids when they were born. And uh, and so now Jason just had a new child, and we're trying to make that little guy Dooney because they named him Daniel, so that's oh. kind of cool. Well, I pass, yeah. it, pass it on down. Yeah. Yeah, and was, was your dad working the mines then? He was a hoisting engineer. Yeah. I think yeah. everybody's dad's working the mines then, right? And my mother said he always worked all night long because when he was in bed, he was always pushing those big pedals and pulling those big levers that yeah. moved the shiv and moved the... The cages and you can't just shut that off when you no, go to sleep you're no. probably doing it you know when you think about it it sounds like it was such a, a pretty pretty easy job when you think of mining but in those days there was no communication other than bells yeah. so you had to know which level the people were going to which level they were on which one they wanted to be picked up on it was all done by signals and bells he just heard the bells and then he and then they had a the big pedals. needle on the thing that went with yeah. the cage and it would tell you which level you were on and and god forbid you move it before they were all loaded yeah or yeah you know, or, or get daydream i mean yeah. how do you not yeah. do you don't get daydream and yeah miss a whistle or, exactly. or a bell you know yeah be pretty easy to do so it was a huge responsibility and i guess i didn't realize it in those days but it was a real pressure job and i can remember him talking about he and billy daly i think were at the the mountain con when the strike hit, the 59 strikes, they were trying to get everybody yeah. up. And I think Billy might have been on the chippy, which was down underground, that engine that brought him from the bottom to that level, and my father was on the top. And he said that pressure was tremendous on Billy Daly. Yeah. Was, is that the same Billy Daly who was later worked at the, as an engineer at Blaine? Could have been. That was Marie Daly's dad. Yeah. He had a brother. He used to come up and grab us by the back of the hair and say, <laughs> one up or two down. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been. Nicest guy around. Yeah, nice, nice guy. Yeah. Billy was a nice guy, and he had a twin brother, Jack. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the yeah. same Billy Daly. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he was a good guy. Yeah, that strike of 59. Of course, I, my gr grandma's brothers, uh, most of them left town during the strike of 59. You know, I got cousins down in Nevada and California that come to Butte all the time and they'd probably still be here if it wasn't for that 59th strike. Yeah, and I know most of my dad's family left earlier than that because one of his sisters moved to San Francisco and within the matter of several years, all the rest of the siblings except the one that lived here, Jewel, that lived in this house that I'm in now. Mm -hmm. He and his sister stayed in Butte, but the rest of them all went to San Francisco. So at one time, we had probably 28 first cousins in San Francisco. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. And this was a family home? Yes, this was Joel's house. Yeah. She raised her children here. Um, and then I used to walk from my house in the Gulf to get the railroad tracks, go under the two tunnels, the one on Main and the one on Montana. Yeah. I didn't have to cross the one on Montana, but the one on Main Street for sure to get over yeah. here. Any time at night, like 9 or 10 at night, I was you were never afraid to walk on the hill. Under the tunnels there? Yeah. yeah we, we spent a lot of time playing in that tunnel. I've got pictures of you guys all when Jeff and Jason were little <laughs> over here and this one on the wall, and some guy took great pictures of it. I'll have to show them to you really? someday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, there was no trains going through, though, when we were yeah. going through the tunnel. Well, I loved it when a train went through. You got in one of those 2x16s or the big braces. Oh, suck, did you really? Yeah, suck it in. Hold your breath. That showed how tough you were when you lived on the hill. Oh, I, I don't think I ever would have been tough enough to pull that off. It was good. Just that, that scene on Stand By Me when they're running from the train <laughs> still scares the hell out of me. <laughs> well, you had to show your colors when you were young, especially if you were a girl. Yeah, you had to be tough. Yeah, it had to be tough. Congratulations to this week's Lescover Honda Athletes of the Week. Butte High golfers Gavin Roesti, Chase Choquette, and Chelsea Lyons. All three will represent the Butte High Bulldogs at the Class AA State Tournament in Billings. Roesti and Choquette share the boys' honor. Roesti, a senior, extended his Bulldog golfing career by tying for 14th place at the Western AA Divisional Tournament at the Bill Roberts Golf Course in Helena. He shot a 76 and a 79 for a 155 total. Choquette, a sophomore, tied for 8th place with a total of 150. He followed a first-round 74 with a 76 on the par 72 course. As a team, the Bulldog boys place 4th. Lyons, a junior, receives the girls' honor after tying for ninth place at the divisional tournament. She followed an opening round 103 with a 90 for a top 10 finish. The top 10 individuals earn all-conference honors. Butte High's girls place 6th in team standings. Congratulations, Gavin, Chase, and Chelsea, and thank you, Lescovar Honda, for honoring the hardworking student-athletes of the Mining City. Hey, Butte America, John Davis here of Lescovar Honda. With fall in the air and hunting season around the corner, now's the time to come down and look at that truck or SUV you've always wanted. We sell all makes and models, and we have one of the largest selections in all of Butte. All of our vehicles are clearly marked and priced below market value. And with a non-commissioned sales team, you're guaranteed to get the vehicle you want. Stop on down and see us at Lescovar Honda, home with a famous 20-year, 200,000-mile warranty. Visiting your neighborhood Thriftway Superstops was already your favorite stop of the day. Now, it is even better. Join the brand new Thriftway Loyalty Club to rack up big discounts, earn free stuff, and receive more TLC with every visit. Download the TLC app and take advantage of great deals on pizza, grab-and-go favorites, fresh brewed coffee, cool fountain drinks, and much, much more at your neighborhood Thriftway Superstops. Loyalty Club members also save five cents per gallon off top-tier conical fuel every single day. Plus, earn points at the pump and in the store. Casa Grande Steakhouse serves steak and so much more. You cannot beat their seasoned, hand-cut Rocky Mountain ground beef. But did you know about their menu filled with made-to-order pastas, chicken sautés, mouth-watering seafood, appetizers, enticing desserts, or their most recent addition, sushi? Thursday nights are sushi nights at Casa Grande's, where you will be welcomed as a part of the family. Casa Grande's can also handle all your catering needs with style, class, and a taste that cannot be beat. Visit Casa Grande Steakhouse inside the historic Bertoglio Warehouse at 801 South Utah Avenue in Uptown Butte. 
Call 406-723-4141 for reservations. Check out their menu at casagrandasteakhouse.com. Casa Grande Steakhouse, eat where the locals eat. Is your house too cold or is it too hot? Either way, Lockmer Sheet Metal is here to help. With more than 40 years of experience in the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning trade, Lockmer Sheet Metal strives to bring you quality service and knowledgeable work to help with your HVAC projects or needs. Lockmer Sheet Metal offers repair services for all forced air, central air systems, installation of new HVAC systems, service contracts for maintenance and service, all residential and commercial applications, fabrication of sheet metal for all types of projects, and ventilation and exhaust systems. Call 406-782-2224 or visit LockmerSheetMetal.com to warm up or cool down with Lockmer Sheet Metal, your local dealer of train heating, cooling, air handling, and ventilation products. For all your home heating and cooling needs, remember Lockmer Sheet Metal. So you might, I, I assume you were tough. I was tough. Yeah. <laughs> Although I was pig pen for the baseball team one time. All the boys were playing baseball, and I really wanted to play, and they wouldn't let me play, so they said, you can be pig pen. And I said, <laughs> pig pen? And they said, well, you know, it's like pigtail. And I said, oh, the pigtail. So I kind of thought that was pretty good, and what it was is I stood behind the catcher, and when the ball rolled down the road about 35 <laughs> feet, I went and chased it and brought yeah. it back for the game. Yeah. So a pigtail wasn't all that fun. <laughs> That's one thing when you grow up in the hill, we, we know how to chase a ball down the street. Exactly, exactly. Never had a fence or a backstop. Yeah, well, we I had the we we never had our basketball hoop in front on Buffalo Street until after they took the Yellow Hill away. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and I remember every time I shot there, I just I wish they still had the Yellow Hill because it would have <laughs> saved me a lot of running down the hill because you know they turned it into a slope. Exactly. You know, so it was a useless slope too. There, yeah. You know, all you do is lose your baseballs and stuff in it. Exactly. Couldn't play on it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the hill was actually we had the Yellow Hill, which would we'd hit the. Our, we don't play baseball in the yard and home runs up onto the hill. Oh, sure. It looked like we're hitting them into the grandstands of exactly. a major league stadium, you know. Yeah. Great imaginations, which the kids yeah. do not even use today. Yeah. They're so occupied with no. entertainment. They don't play outside. Yeah. Yeah, truly. We were lucky. And, and those black rocks that were between Ida's house and ours, I mean, the formations on them. Uh, I used to pretend like one of them was a dollhouse or my house, and there was oh, really? a kitchen and a front room, and then you had flat rocks yeah. that were your chairs, and they had a transformer up there years after I was probably in high school, I guess. And I would have been earlier in that, probably grade school. And so we used to steal rope from the Anaconda Company <laughs> and go up and tie it over. The boys did this. They tied the knots, and we made swings, and we go corner to corner, kitty corner on yeah. the gallus frame. Then they combine, cut it down, and two days later we'd go get more rope and tie it up one more time. <laughs> Just a yeah. constant struggle. For yeah. The and when my brother got shot up there, Danny Sullivan came down to my mother and he said, Marg, Jimmy got shot. And she said, where? And he said, on the hill. Well, looking out our door, yeah. it, we were living in nothing but hills, no matter what direction you looked. Yeah. And uh, so she was a wreck till he finally walked home. And, and they, uh, she looked at him and he had been shot in the neck. The guys were, some of the guys got BB guns or 22s yeah. for Christmas. And so Danny Sullivan and Hare, in order to get a turn to shoot, they had to set up the bottles. So Hare had just bent down to pick up a <laughs> bottle, and one of the kids shot the gun and got him in the neck. Jeez. And so when he came through the door, and I was six at the time, so I don't totally remember it, but I remember yeah. the story. And she said, Jimmy, you ruined your new tennis shoes. They were covered in blood from 
bleeding off of his elbow. But he was in the hospital for two days before they found the bullet. Really? And that yeah. the first thing she says is the yeah. shoes? Yeah, Jimmy, you ruined your tennis shoes. Yeah, it sounds like them all. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize he was shot. I, I knew yeah. he was a tough old guy, but I didn't. Yeah. The bullet was still there. He couldn't yeah. enter the service. It was in a little pocket over his lung in the back. No it came down his neck and went under his arm. So they couldn't go in and get it. They then. couldn't reach it. They were afraid it would move. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was there all the time. Huh? All the time. Wow. Didn't slow him down. He was still a, just a tough kid. Yeah. Was there a big investigation, police or anything like that, no. after someone was shot? Was I, don't, shot? I don't remember anybody. <laughs> or just boys being boys. Boys yeah. being boys. <laughs> yeah. Boys being boys. and Because and, uh, that today would be the front page of the oh, yeah, it would newspaper be. on the you know, lead story in the news. And then he, he and Danny Sullivan <laughs> used to set fires. They were little fire bugs. Uh, setting the weeds on fire. So my mother had had just about every kind of <laughs> retribution she could think on them. So she went down to a neighbor and asked for one of her daughter's dresses, so she put him in a dress, scotch-taped a bow to his head, and made him go out and play with his friends. He never lit another match. That was effective. Yeah, very effective. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Crazy. So great stories in the Gulch. You know, yeah. when the kids got bikes, somebody got a new bike. It was great. Fourth of July, every family ordered a, a uh, display of fireworks. They came in catalogs, and they were like yeah. nine ninety nine to twenty nine ninety nine. So every family got one. So after we went over on the side hill by your house, where those black rocks were, by coming down from Barry's yeah. to watch the fireworks, then we come back and light them off in the field in the gulch, and it would be like five hours of stuff, fountains and all kinds yeah. of crap going up. Great, great place to play. The kids were were great. I mean, it was a a family of families. Yeah, basically. And I said to Joey Sullivan one day, I said, we had so little, yet we had so much. Yeah. yeah there's nobody really did. Nobody was financially no. rich no. in the Gulch, but yeah. No. But yeah, that uh, yeah, that's when your you neighbors... I, of course, it doesn't... Remember going to the neighbors borrowing a cup of sugar? Yeah. Which those days are. You know, they're, they, gone they, they've been gone for a long time. Yeah. But that was something that... Stuff like that all the time. And all you had to do was be at somebody's house, and when it was dinner time, they'd see if you wanted to stay. You could stay if you wanted to. You didn't have to call your mother. You just didn't bother going home. Yeah. You just stayed someplace else. Yeah. And then when we went on vacation, it was amazing because if you were having a gripe with somebody in the neighborhood, too bad because we went to Pipestone. Mm. And that's the only place everybody went. The Lees went, and the Moyorities went, and we went. Uh, I don't know if the O'Neills went, but it was just nothing but families. Just a pipestone, huh? It's just a pipestone. I didn't think there was anything in the world but Whitehall and Butte till I was in high school. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> was there a grocery store in the Gold Show? There was years and years ago. Linda Hagenbrook had a bar and a grocery mm. store and a pool. There was a swimming pool in the Gulch. No kidding. Yeah, we never had water in it because some boy drowned in it, I think, long mm. before I was able to go out and about. Mm. But um, it was right on the corner behind Plexi Olson's house. And she yeah. would have been a grandmother to the Hogarths. There's not a lot of swimming pools in Butte at all. No, and to one have one that early. Yeah. yeah, there's still not a lot of swimming pools. No, you have to be isn't. almost crazy to try to have a swimming pool. Exactly. You know, you'd get to use it yeah. three months a year if that. So but, the memories in the Gulch are fantastic. I mean, it was a great neighborhood. The mothers were all friends. Uh, most of the dads worked together. Yeah. Uh, Scott Shea was a hoisting engineer. The Kellys, Danny and Willie, were both engineers. I don't know what Redneck did. Uh, 
Well, oh, right. He used to come over. My, when, I think when my grandpa was adding on to his household, he came over and watched him every day. Oh, did he? <laughs> he stood at the fence and talked to him and watched him. My grandpa and his friends who were building the house. Yeah. I don't think he helped. I think he just stood there <laughs> and, and talked to him. Yeah, I think one of the Kellys might have been a carpenter, but I think Willie and Dan, Danny, I know for sure, was a hoisting engineer. Mm-hmm. Patty Lee was a miner. And mm-hmm. that couple of years where you were able to go down the Kelly to see the levels underground. And I went down three times, Sharon McHugh and myself. Really? Because we had relatives come from San Francisco and everybody wanted to go down. And you go down there and the level that they took you to was pretty pleasant actually. It had a yeah. place for lunch and pot machines and you'd go see the, where they were working. And I knew the, well, Robbie Smith was there, Patty Lee was there. I mean, it was just amazing the people that you knew that were working that were friends of your friends, yeah. and their dads were down underground. Yeah. Must have been a noisy neighborhood, though, with it, that It never minor. stopped the wheels rolling all the time. Yeah. And then the crusher, yeah. Yeah, I remember the the con being, you know, when I lived there, very briefly, you know, I can remember the con, the whistles and stuff. Yeah. But I don't I don't really, you know, because clo- I was probably like seven or so when they, when six they, or seven when they closed it up. Well, and the thing of it is, I think, you never paid much attention to the noise, but the silence after they were gone was yeah. haunting. It was really haunting. Yeah, yeah, because it was just always the yeah. whole uptown was yeah. noisy, bustling all the time. Yeah, you probably didn't couldn't hear the layout. You leave your window open now, up until you can hear the cars in the interstate all the way downtown. Right. I'm sure you couldn't hear them back then. Well, from our front porch in the Gulch, you could see Homestake. Yeah. And so we'd sit out there in the night, and we had a fairly nice yard and front porch, and. Um, I can just remember my father sitting out there thinking, you know, how, what what more would you ask for life than sitting on the front porch watching yeah. a highway? Yeah. And did you go to Central? I did. I yeah. went to St. Mary's and then Butte Central. St. Mary. Yeah. Was St. Mary's? Uh, so that it was. There's two St. Mary's, right? Right. One they was like on Wyoming, Wyoming Street. Wyoming Street, and I went first and second grade there, and then I did third through eighth grade on yeah. main on Main Street across from yeah. Porter, which is right in the. Stuart mine yeah, yard. It's in the, in a mine yard. Yeah. And the mine was operating. So it talk was. about loud. <laughs> I mean, you probably, that's all you could hear probably when you were going to school. But you never, it wasn't even in your, it was just noise. You never yeah. paid attention to it. Yeah. So it was no different. And I can remember we'd walk alongside the BAMP because they had that warehouse that was right yeah. behind the school that was kind of kitty, kitty corner from the tunnel. Yeah. And the tracks went right over to Main Street and stopped there uh, when the school went in. But the mine yard was all, it was paved. And, I mean, it was wicked, absolutely yeah. wicked. If you fell down playing any game at lunchtime or recess, you got beat to death with the pavement because <laughs> most of it was just dirt. We were used yeah. to dirt pavement. We had no clue what to do with. Yeah. Now, did you, uh, we obviously sneaking in the mine yards a lot as a kid and playing. Oh, yes, we did. Because that was the thing to do and yep. getting chased by the Burnsies. The Burnsies are the watchmen, actually, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were not. They did not like us. We were a lot faster because they were a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> and you had more ways to go. They were yes. in the cars a lot of time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They could. Yeah. You guys could get away from them. My dad said they used to throw rocks at the Burnsies all the time. Oh yeah. They used to have to have cages like in the back of their trucks because oh, their sure. windows got busted out so many times from people throwing rocks at. Them. Well, and when the Kelly first went in the engine room, it had no screens on it. Hmm. And the kids threw rocks at it and broke all the windows because the the higher corner by Harp O'Neill's house was almost like looking right across the street to a window. So, it was, I mean, it was just, just asking just to have a rock at <laughs> Just tempting you. Know? <laughs> it was just sitting there like, throw a rock at me. <laughs> yeah, did they ever catch you? Uh, no, yeah. no. I was able to hide a couple times, but we did a lot of very 
disastrous things when you think back. And had the parents known, they would have never let us out of the house. Really? Yeah. yeah. See, I knew if I would have got caught by, which we called the Burnsies then, right. I don't think they, I think it was just security guards. I don't think there was actually Burnsies anymore. But I probably wouldn't have been in trouble. That was the only time, because my dad had so many. He disliked <laughs> He them. disliked the company that, the, you know, yeah. and every and everybody so much that I, I probably, that would have been the one thing I could have got away with. Anything else. You know, you're, you yeah. know, we got. I remember getting a paddle at school in third grade, and there was no no chance of telling my mom and dad exactly. when I got home. Just hoping that the school didn't call. Well, my mother had a razor belt, <laughs> and it hung on a nail. And when she would go after you, we had a house that had the the door between the two bedrooms, so you could make a full circle. And we would be laughing because she'd be chasing <laughs> us with this belt, and she'd be swinging it, and missed us totally. But I was coming back and getting her on the right and left side as it went through the air. <laughs> She was beat to a pulp, and we never got a slap out of it because we'd be too fast for her. Yeah, just kept running for her. Yeah, just kept running. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, those were. That must have been. I just I just can envision all the kids there because there's so many kids on that hill. Yeah, you know, in that truly. you know Corktown neighborhood. Like my dad used to talk about. You know, I it was something if I had a friend that lived close by. You know, like right. Sam Bowling. Oh, sure. Used to come up and you know Sam lived halfway between. Yeah. Between your house and my house. Right. And he, you know, he'd he'd either be up here or, or here or at my house. Exactly. And uh, you know, so we had Sam, but and we had a few kids, but not like my my dad would talk about. They could get a baseball game anytime they wanted or a yeah. full football game. You know, it was just uh, easy to so collect kids because everybody was out. And then we had the Never Sweat Mine Yard too, and the Oases, I think were living in the house at the time, and she had a great garden. And I don't think she planted it to eat. She planted it so we could raid it. Because <laughs> the upper Anaconda Road, the top house yeah. at that point in time was McGlone's, and that was a company house. Then the Hannafins moved in there probably when I was in school, and they had quite a family. And then there was a, there was a Kelly, Mickey Kelly lived on Anaconda Road, Mary Carroll's dad, mm-hmm. and the Gustavusons, and there was Hollands. There was all kinds of people up in that little niche at the end of the right-hand side of Anaconda Road. Then on the lower side where Marie Daly's house was, there was about seven houses there and they all would have been right behind the warehouses that are still standing today really mm-hmm. yeah that's uh yeah that's uh, that's just amazing the memory they have of all the, those houses you know and it's, you know, as i'm talking to the kids and it it almost makes you they, feel bad because i can rattle on and i think they probably would have been real happy with just two or three lines of what i was telling them yeah but instead i did paragraphs but i'm kind of like that with texting too just yeah. that it's supposed to be a sentence or two not an epistle <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you need words. Yeah. Oh, I use way too many. Yeah. Are you looking for a place to host a special event or a party? Or just looking for a drink served by the best mixologist in town? Look no further than 51 Below Speakeasy and Casino. Take a step back in time and enjoy some of our signature cocktails such as an Old Fashioned or a Pink Mate. Stop in for happy hour Monday through Thursday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. and 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Friday and Saturday for $2 cans of your favorite beer, or two for five seltzers or well mixers. Or try one of our tap beers for just $5, along with weekly specialty cocktails. Located underneath the Miner's Hotel, where Butte locals receive a 20% discount on rooms, 51 Below has live music every Friday night. So stop by 51 Below Speakeasy and Casino for a good time with good friends and great drinks. And don't forget to dial five. Shop where the champions shop at Dig City Supply. The Fan Gear headquarters for all things Montana Tech is right across the street from the Uptown Parking Garage on Park Street. Not only can you get your Charlie Ordigger fix, 
but we carry the area's largest selection of Montana and Montana State apparel, as well as Butte High, Butte Central, and all the elementary school gear. Dig City is also home to the exclusive licensed Butte Icon shirt collection. We partnered with cherished Butte institutions to offer one-of-a-kind graphic tees from places like the Silverbow Drive-In, Beef Trail Ski Area, Bonanza Freeze, and our brand new Evil Knievel designs. Head uptown to Park Street and check out Dig City Supply and find us online at digcitysupply.com. You want to watch your favorite football team on Sunday, but it isn't on TV? No problem. Go to Metal Sports Bar and Grill and check out all the games. In addition to a full-service bar and a menu full of terrific entrees cooked to perfection, Metals also has the Sunday ticket. Kick back with some raised fingers, the best pizza in town, and a refreshing drink as you root on your team on one of 31 big-screen TVs at Metals. Don't miss a moment of your favorite team with Metals Sports Bar and Grill, where the food is the star. Metals is open at 11 a.m. every Sunday during football season. There's no story so good that a drink from Park Street Liquors won't make it better. From the finest whiskeys and regional spirits to the latest RTDs and select wines, Park Street Liquors has all the ingredients to make your parties and stories legendary. Park Street Liquors can also assist with your corporate event or wedding by helping create and plan your wine and spirits menus. You name it and Park Street Liquors has it. Stop by and see Tom and the crew at 133 West Park Street or call 406-782-6278. Make your stories legendary. Debbie uh, Shea, she grew up in Muckerville right over here, she, right? Right in the house on the corner. Yeah, and uh, Lee Whitney, she grew up in the Gulch. Dublin Gulch. Yeah, yeah. and there's Dan Miorti, is that you said the last name? Danny Miorti would have been on the sunny side. He would have been off of Anaconda yeah. Road. I see he's on Facebook. Yeah, he's real fired up over it. Yeah, and uh, but do you, are there a lot of people who that you know that came from the Gulch that you still see around I have, town? Kitty Lee is still a very old Gulcher. She and I are probably, yeah. Shirley Barry is probably the oldest, Lee's mother. Yeah, and, and she's like 98 90, now. I, she just told me how old she was yeah. too, and I forget, but. She uh, doing great, though, looks beautiful. So, yeah. I mean, she hasn't changed in years in appearance. And Kitty is two years older than I am. And I'll be 80 in February, so we're probably three of the seniors from the Gulch. Yeah. And that's what uh, I think it was Lee mentioned, is the fight that we're trying to save the Gulch. Is it just too personal for our generation? Does the next generation, would they care? And all I can think about, and I think I told you, I saw Moose Patrice talking about McQueen, and he got very choked up about saying yeah. there's no visual evidence that there was ever a neighborhood down there. And he said most people like Wyoming Street, you can go back and see where all the Mulcahy's and the Diddy's yeah. and everybody, the side hill, uh, that it's still there. So you can generate those thoughts and, and yeah. bring fire up those memories. But when you look at the what they've covered over and buried, it just makes you want to cry. There's no happiness there whatsoever. Yeah. Of it's going just, back. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I imagine it's got to be hard to look at it when yeah. you go up on that con mine in that yeah. overlook and look down on that. Yeah. It's got to be tough. It is. It's just. Uh, it's amazing. They have contoured the the landscape a little bit, but as a rule, I could walk you right through and tell you where everybody's house was. And my father had one of those pits that you drove up on and changed your oil. Yeah. And Condini, he had one over on the other side of his house. And everybody for miles would come and yeah. pull I, their cars up and change their oil. 
I remember going to one of those with my dad. Yeah. And then they would just let the, they drain the oil uh-huh. right down into the ground. The ground. And yeah. then they'd just throw the old filter right over the side of the hill. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then they'd cover the oil with sand. Yeah. There was lots of dirt to cover it. And dirt bombs. Jeez, I can remember when we were kids, that was one of the things I, we used to do was throw dirt bombs at each other. Do you ever remember a dirt bomb? Yeah, I Big do. Big clump of yeah. grass and you'd fire it at somebody. Yeah. It was like throwing a pellet at them. Yeah. Yeah, craziness. Yeah, and I'd love to see that cleaned up because like I was looking at that the allocation agreement of 2006, and it ruled that 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 the gulching up above you know around with the piles of dump that they left by the Bell Diamond there you know above it are uh, part of the what does it call it the mining historic mining landscape area. Okay. So they wanted to show us what it was like when we had dumps on the hill. So the dumps are historic. Okay. Not the neighborhood. Really, the isn't, dumps. isn't that amazing? I mean, that is just so backwards. Well, if you look at that picture <clears throat> over my head here, that's a painting of the gulch. Oh, that is awesome. Who took that? Uh, Leroy Cottom painted it. Painted it. For my brother. So it shows all the existing houses before they were we moved out. That is awesome. Isn't that nice? I'll have to take a picture you of that. You have to take a picture of it, yeah. Yeah, I, that's pretty. I, I would love to have been there, you know. Like, yeah. I'd love to go back in time and see... Meterville and McQueen and yeah. what it was like then. You and know. Plexi Olson, you know, Plexi was just a neighborhood wonder. He worked yeah. the Craven Garage for all the years I knew him. He was fixing cars constantly, and he had two sisters. Then the Odlins that lived on Wyoming Street above Sheehan's there, just before you make the corner. Yeah. Sis Odlin was an Olson. She was married to Thor. And um, so they were neighbors, and then there was a Jack Olson that lived over here, like between the Goodwill and the old sister's convent yeah. and he was another brother so the families from the gulch were large so the people were scattered you know brother yeah. sister scattered all over they never stayed in the gulch yeah. wasn't, wasn't a lot of small families back in those no, days no they were all huge yeah we were eating dinner out in the yard uh we had a, a nice table and umbrella the night that the bell diamond blew up and my brother and my dad Ran right up there, yeah. and I think they were the first ones to get hold of Bob Melvin after. Yeah. He was I was just going to mention Robert Melvin. That's what yeah. we called him. I always called him Robert Melvin because yeah. he lived across the street, across yes. Minor Street from my grandparents. Exactly. He had his. Uh, he received the last rites four times. Yes. Oh, he was burnt to a crisp. Was and and uh, and then of course he lived to like ninety five. I think he died. He was, Is that when he died? Or I think he was ninety five when he died. Okay. In the it was in the nineties. And I went to school with one of. Uh, there was a daughter. Her name was. Or niece or something. And I don't know, whatever. I think her name was Barbara, but I'm not sure. Yeah. My dad still talks to some of the... The Melvins? Some of the Melvins. Really? From time to time, yeah. Huh. Yeah, Robert had, he had a wooden leg. Yeah, that was after the, the yeah. disaster. And, uh, right. yeah, he was... I think he was friends with Mansfield, wasn't he, if I remember right, didn't he? Could have been. Could or, have you been. know, maybe just a big supporter. Or Although Mike, Mike was friends with everybody, yeah. with all the old <laughs> Irish. I know my yeah. mother and father, we went to Gonzaga, and he was there one time. Well, it was like the Pope was there. Yeah. So you, you remember, what year was that when the, the diamond blew up, Mel, Bell Diamond blew up? You know, I don't remember yeah. what year it was, but I remember it happened because my mother and I were a wreck because we didn't know if it was going to blow again. Yeah. And they just took off in my brother's car and went right up there, and then, you you know, you worried, but... When they come home, they said it was just that poor Bob Melvin really had taken the brunt of that blast. Yeah, and that's amazing that he lived so much longer after it that. It is, you know, because that and he was an he was an I used to 
shovel the sidewalks and you get a couple dollars. Yeah. He was all he always treated us pretty good. You couldn't wait for the, the snow to come, so I'd mean my I'd race my brother down to Robert Melvin's house <laughs> with a shovel <laughs> to get a couple dollars. And do you remember probably before your time there was a guy that lived on the corner of Bell and Clergate the hump on Clergate? Yeah. And his name was Turnaround Duffy. Is that what his Word name? for the railroad, yeah. Yeah, his house him. was there for a while. Yeah, Turnaround Duffy. He was right there on the very corner. Yeah, we used to that's, I think that's the house we used to sneak into after it was abandoned. Could have been. And then we found a box of old candy. Oh. And we, we, I, we snuck it home. I'm pretty sure Jeff was with me. <laughs> Probably. We snuck it home, and, and my mom was like, where the heck did this come from? Don't eat it. <laughs> she said, where did you get it? I can't tell you. <laughs> well, we broke into a house that was over there by Beto's. Uh, Denny's house had already burned down in, in Beto's at that point in time. And there was a little lady that lived up there. And we I can remember going into her basement. And, you know, if you ever did destructive things, that was one of them. In her basement, she was long gone. But there was those old, like, five-gallon crocs. Yeah. Beautiful crocs that they must have made wine in or, or something years and years ago. And we had a great time breaking all that crap. You know, it was such a good <laughs> thing. You just loved it. And you wonder how people can become destructive having fun, but they do. Yeah. Yeah, that was the funnest thing you could do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> break things. Yeah, and then we had the. I think I mentioned it when I did my uh, piece for the history for Gonza or for the U of M, and I was talking about playing beer can baseball, and we used to play <laughs> beer can baseball alongside of the fence by the warehouses closer to Marie's house, and because the beer cans were all in Linda's pool when she had the bar, they just filled it up with beer cans. Yeah. So we had an old like him ever. I don't even think it was a whole bat. It was like a half a bat. And then the, the ball, that we never had a good ball, so we just kind of crunched up the cans. And yeah. all of us from getting hit, yeah. holding the bat, that part by your thumbnail, yeah. was always split open. I'm so <laughs> sore you'd go home and you could hardly even move. Yeah. Your hands were so sore from getting hit with the beer cans. You play, you play baseball with beer cans. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was great. <laughs> could you, you probably couldn't hit them too far. No, they probably were the pitcher. Yeah, couldn't lose him. Yeah. Couldn't lose him. <laughs> That's a, I don't think there's any home runs. Yeah. Were, were you guys afraid of the Centerville ghost? No. Yeah. Did Was that a big thing growing up? At all? I don't remember the Centerville ghost, but we had a guy over mm. on, on uh, Anaconda Road, and they called him Straight Back Dan. Mm. And he must have been probably the first special needs person that I ever could associate with. Yeah. Never knew what was the matter with him then, but yeah. found out later. And he would write these cardboard notes, big print things that were, you know, out there. We didn't know what the heck he was talking about. But he was probably the most frightening person. Really? Yeah. Yeah, uh, my grandpa used to tell me about the Centerville ghost. Okay. And I guess we said that that alley there by, from going down to Bell Street. Okay. Is where I hung out. Of course, I I did some research on it, and it turns out that was, uh, was a Duffy was his last name. Turn around, Duffy. Probably yeah. was that. Was that? Could have been. Yeah, because he was an alderman. He was a guy. They did it. They, it was a hoax. Okay. They, him and his he bet his friend. His friend bet him that he couldn't uh, fool all the people in Butte at once. Oh really? And he just wrote a letter to the paper about an encounter with this ghostly figure, and then immediately everybody else started seeing the same thing. Okay. So just the power of imagination. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, and then 38 years later, he admitted that it was a hoax. But <laughs> but there was a time when, you know, people, like cops said, they shot at it. Right. And bullets went through it, and people saw, you know, and all the stuff, and it was just, just, just a made hoax. up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, I think I think it was, 
that was Joe Duffy, maybe. I can't remember. I, I wrote about it a couple. You know, my first mention that they were going to dump in the Dublin Gulch. Okay. I wrote about the... The, the, the hoax. The, yeah, I wrote about that as being more real than the, the plan for transparency with the EPA. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, when we went up yesterday or last evening, I guess we took the ride and we went up your street and I was looking over. We t- did a turnaround above Sarsfield O'Sullivan's house in the parking lot there. And I said at the old uh, dump thing where they used to bring the trucks, the U-Hauls. Yeah. And they bring them down. Not the U-Hauls, the big pack trucks, whatever they are. Yeah. And they dump them into the ore cars right there where that big bin is still sitting up there. Have you seen where they Yeah. That's still yeah. there. And I said, that's about the only thing because there was Crowley's house on the very old Mike Crowley, I think his name was. And then there was Bridgie Shea and the Sheehan's and then the Conleys lived on the very corner where you make the turn to go up to your mom's. Yeah. Yeah, so look, there's so much gone. Yeah. And... You know, we walk that every day over to school in the morning, back home for lunch, back to school. And you just, you knew everybody, and everybody knew you. Everybody on Clearwood, all the way over to Curtin's house and up to Andre Daly's house. You knew everybody from Bolo's, yeah. that whole triangle. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's just so sad that they didn't, like the Meterville is part of the pit, you know. At least, yeah, exactly. You gone. know, that, it's, it's gone. And you can kind of see a little bit of the McQueen, like where they, in that movie, Resurrecting. Right. Holy Savior, which was really cool. This, it's excellent, this to, excellent to watch. film. Yeah, hopefully that DVDs are out of that pretty, on pretty soon, so that people can watch great. it. Yeah, but uh, but you could see that, and that was so sad when Moose, you know, Moose and 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 Mrs. Uh, DeBerthy. Yeah, you know, cause she was talking about her house burning down. Exactly. But, and I didn't realize that. Uh, I, I never knew much about the fight. I got to read that book, uh, The City That Ate Itself. You oh, know, okay. ab- About the fights to keep. You know, because there was there like the mayor of Walkerville speak. They have you know they had audio of him yeah, speaking Jimmy at the Shea. legislature, yeah. trying to save Meterville and and McQueen. Yeah, and uh, just the fight that it was. But the, of course, it wasn't a fair fight because you, you'd want to sell your. They ask you if you want to sell your house, you say no, and then your house burns down. Exactly. And and there was I I remember my mom talking about suspicious fires. You know, and we we kind of had the fear. My dad thought. At one point, they were trying to going to try to buy out our neighborhood. Oh yeah, to expand the pit. You know, obviously, you know when. I was well, really they were young. thinking about going this way, and they just ran out of ore. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have. Yeah, yeah. So we, I remember living and kind of worrying about that. And then, you know, that's what they said: if you don't sell your house to them, they'll burn it down. Right. Exactly. And, and the fires, and that was interesting. I didn't realize that there were that many fires. Yeah. Because it was Butte's, Meterville at the time. I think it said on the national average it was a hundred times more fires. For, you know, than than anywhere else in the nation, I can't remember exactly how the what the stat. Well, and it's but. something like Butte Uptown, you know, all of the uptown buildings that went. There was at one point in time, I think, it was an invisible drive to make the flat the city the city center. Yeah. So they were trying to do away with the hill, and certainly did a pretty good job of wiping out a lot of old buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at what we lost. Yeah. All the. Yeah. Truly. And I don't know what what I would like to see. I don't know if you asked me or or Lee Whitney asked me what would I like to see happen at the Gulch, the location of it to make it, I guess, aesthetically nice. Yeah. I can see where they could go in and do. It's kind of rung the way it is now. Put some kind of an amphitheater in there. Yeah. And because they're not going to get rid of the gallus frames, I don't think they can. So they can only fill it from Renwalls, which would be the end of Center Street, down to the Gallus Frames. Yeah. And then it's going to be like a blank wall rather than a concave yeah. sculpture that it is now. 
And they could do a lot with it to preserve the memories versus make just a mound of dirt out of it that's going to be 200 feet high. Yeah, it seems... Uh... It just seems so devastating. Yeah. Like, like you look there, the, like there's the rocks where you see where the train tracks went between the, there's rocks on each yep. side. And apparently that, Lee asked them if they would be able to save that, if that would be saved, and they said no, be yeah. covered. And it, it just seemed like such a, a waste. You know, it'd be nice to see them clean that up a little bit and have, you know, they've, they've talked about having extended walking trails over yeah. there through it. It'd be nice to think if they could clean that up and extend the walking trails over there without the caveat of here's another 660,000 cubic, cubic tons of, yeah. of toxic yeah. waste to go with it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's just... Well, it's going to lose the, the... Once the landscape of the shape of the, the neighborhood is gone, you may as well just not even try and do anything to keep it in mind. Because yeah. it'll be gone. It'll yeah. be like McQueen. Yeah, it'll just be yeah a memory that you can talk about, but yeah. you can't even visualize anymore. Yeah. And yeah. it produced a lot of very huge families and a lot of huge memories um, and a lot of families that were very important people as the years have gone by. Lone Peak Physical Therapy is your premier privately owned physical therapy, occupational therapy, certified hand therapy, pelvic health, and personal training facility located right here in beautiful Butte, Montana. With over 21 years of experience, our team here at Lone Peak is hyper-focused on you, your goals, and finding a way to help you get better faster. We provide one-on-one -on -one care with the highest quality specialized services. Are you tired of dealing with your low back pain, arthritis, carpal tunnel, neck pain, headaches, and shoulder pain? Did you just have a recent surgery? Do you struggle with feeling off balance or do you get dizzy during your day? How about a custom splint built for your hand and wrist? Did you recently have a baby and now your body feels tremendously foreign to you? Look no further. We are here for you and ready to help you move better and feel better every step of the way. You do not need a doctor's referral to come in and see us. We accept health insurance and also offer comprehensive self-pay options. Don't settle for mediocre healthcare. Your journey to living better and getting back to doing what you love can start today. Give us a call at 406-494-7050 or visit our website at LonePeakPT.com to speak to an expert now. Lockmer Plumbing is more than Butte's complete union plumbing shop. Whether it is sponsoring Little League Baseball, high school athletics, Montana Tech, Youth Racing, 4-H, Mining City Christmas, Action Inc.'s Homeless Solution Program, Head Start, or Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Butte, Lockmer Plumbing is always looking out for the people of the mining city. Owned and operated by Troy and Amy Lockmer since 2002, Lockmer Plumbing can handle all your residential, commercial, and industrial plumbing needs as well as making repairs and installations on all plumbing and boiler systems. In the heart of Uptown Butte, Lockmer Plumbing can also assist on new construction and planning for your new home or development. Call 406-782-2224 or visit LockmerPlumbing.com today. Lockmer Plumbing has your pipes covered and so much more. Oh look, there's another one. Your favorite tavern, neighborhood gas station, and video stores have all been turned into the same thing, a casino. At Crazy Carol's, we've been doing things the right way for more than three decades. So let me introduce myself. I'm Deb Dinius, the manager of Crazy Carol's Casino Mill Bar, where you'll always find fun in motion and service that sets us apart. Take a trip off the beaten path. Come on over to the hood. We're located on the corner of Walnut and Hayes, where you'll find the big red barn just off the shores of beautiful Lake Berkeley. And don't forget, Buckle the Horse is available for photos. At Crazy Carol's Casino and Mill Bar, we're still so grievous after all these years. 
Thank you, Butte. Everybody knows the place to go. Crazy Carol's Casino in Mill Bar. 5518 Designs is your Montana lifestyle apparel headquarters in Uptown Butte. We're gearing up to launch all of our brand new designs for the summer. All our designs are created in-house, actually in the cabin that we have in the back of the store, and they're meant to get you psyched about all your summer adventures. Whether it's biking, hiking, floating, festivaling, or just chilling lakeside, we've got the tees, hats, hoodies, and gifts that everyone is sure to love. And we haven't even mentioned our unique line of Butte gear, but we'll save that for another commercial. In the meantime, stop into 5518 Designs at 27 North Main Street in Uptown Butte and shop online at shop5518.com. You already know about the Knights of Columbus Athletic Club, which is the best workout bargain in town. But did you know the KC also is home to JoyFit 406? JoyFit 406 is Butte's only boutique fitness studio offering indoor cycling as well as a rich variety of other fitness classes from dance fitness and bar to Pilates, strength and conditioning, and flow. Regardless of your fitness level, JoyFit 406 fosters a spirit of inclusion and community. At JoyFit 406, they believe in more than just fitness. They believe in building connections and friendship that last a lifetime. Join their vibrant community today where health, happiness, and camaraderie come together in perfect harmony. Your journey to a stronger, more joyful you starts at JoyFit 406. To book a class or to get more information, visit JoyFit406.com. Like JoyFit406 on social media and download the JoyFit406 app. Also, don't forget to book the renovated Knights of Columbus Hall for your party or reception today. The Knights of Columbus is a proud sponsor of the Buttecast. My, my dad found out, he called me, I was driving to uh, Billings to watch Grady play a mm-hmm. JV football team game, the first game of the season, you know. And he called and told me that he, they said they're going to dump in there. He was talking, he saw, because he talked to J.P. Gallagher earlier and J.P. told him that he was just, they're just going to move some dirt around. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're looking at it. And then he talks to other people. So they're going to dump in there. And he, that's what he said. They're talking about some dirty dirt, you know, which they kind of had their facts left. The dirty dirt, gray filled stuff they're going right. to leave down there. Right. Which is, to me, unacceptable anyway. You know, how do you, you know, you can't just kind of clean something. No. <laughs> you got to clean it. You yeah. can't, you can't make it kind of less toxic. You, you got to get all the toxins out yeah. of there. And uh, so he, he called me and then I, I asked JP about it and I kind of. Got the, you know, get the hum and hawn, you know, and stuff, you know. First, he didn't understand my question, which was, you know, pretty simple. Are you right. going to dump in the double gold? Are you going to dump in the double gold? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a quantum physics question, you yeah. know, there. But, uh, and, you know, just thinking of the fight, and uh, we went to that AP, or the, not the AP, the EPA meeting, and I, after that, I told JP, I said, you're going to have to arrest me every single day you try if you're going to try to dump in the gulch. Yeah. Because, but of course, they're going to be coming in through the mine yard, which, of course, I get arrested down there, too. Well, and I'm surprised it. that, I, I guess, out of all the places, when we went up and rode around, there's still lots of area up around the Badger and all that yeah. in front of the, the monument up there. You look down there, and there's still a couple gallus frames down there, so they must not be able to cover those either. Mm-hmm. So whether they're MRI or whether they're ARCO or who they belong to, I don't know. So maybe nobody else wants to take the jeopardy of having the tainted yeah. ground dumped in their place, and I'm sure no neighborhood wants it. No. And this this neighborhood, when they didn't utilize it to extend the pit from the Anaconda Road east, then it's been sitting there all these years. And why don't they do something nice with it? Because they've destroyed, they started with the gardens, and they've just been no. like cancer, and they've eaten up a lot of neighborhoods mm-hmm. and a lot of memories. Yeah, it'd be great to see that fixed up and 
and everything uh, or dumped somewhere else. And they kind of throw that on the people who see it. I think, you know, like Lee and Debbie got that. Right. Like, where else would we put it? Yeah. And that's why I said, well, we're not environmental engineers. Exactly. It's not our job to tell you where to put it. Yeah. We're just telling you this is unacceptable. Right. And and that's where I'm at, you know. And, and they, they could probably give me lots of good reasons why that's the best place for this and that, you know. That, but I think, of course, number one is it's the cheapest place for British yeah. Petroleum. The most money. economical at the time. Yeah, and, and that's that's just not going to cut it for me when you're talking about a company that made yeah. $28 billion in profit last year. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we're not, I'm not going to, I'm not buying that argument. Well, and, and it's it's really a shame because... Even though they're they were a good employer for the people that work there, they kind of pretended like they were a friend of the community, and I think some of the workers are very dedicated to the city of Butte, but they're the ones like us that really have no pull or no say so. Yeah. And so then you get to the echelon of a company, and it's basically they could care less what they have to destroy to get the bottom dollar to work for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably important. I say it's not the. The local guy, like Josh yeah. Bryson. Josh yeah. Bryson works for for Bridge Patrol in town, and he's I think he's a great guy. Yeah, you no, know, it's and never I, the I local think he, people. And he he lives here, you yeah. know, and he wants to make Butte the best place he can. But he's got, you know, just as I remember being at the Standard, we're trying to do people trying to do great things at the Standard, and you got the the Lee Enterprises would be pushing back, cutting, yeah, putting cutting, a cap on you what know, you can you know, and can't say. Our, Cutting yeah. our money, you're cutting, you know, resources and limited, you know. So, yeah. so yeah. you're fighting against the corporation. Corporation that, that's worried yeah. about the bottom dollar. Yeah, which is too bad. Yeah, which uh, which that'd be nice if you make it big enough public relations issue for that big company, though they might respond, you know, because they spent a lot more money than I'm sure they wanted to in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> when I'm they had sure. to clean that up. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, but. It, it would be nice, even though there's only a sprinkling of the people left that lived in the Gulch, the stories are still tremendous. I mean, great yeah. stories. Um, or Jeff keep, keeps wanting us to get some night, the bunch of us that are left to get on the KC and record a bunch of the, the of us yeah. talking stories about That'd how we awesome. intertwined during the years of grade school and and uh, early high school and until everybody got married and, and moved away. But, uh, well, I was there till I was 29, living in, in the Gulch. Yeah. And then I think it was the, I got married in 73, and my mother and hair moved out in 74. Yeah. Yeah, so it's for 49 years ago, I guess, and going on 49. Did you work for the the city? I or, did. For, uh, I know you worked for Metro Sewer, for, but did you... Was it the city or the county when you first started working for local When I government? first started working, it was the county. Yeah. And I worked for uh, Metro because Metro was going in for county only. And then, it, you know, I started in 63, I think, 64, maybe yeah. the summer, the fall of 64. And I was 23, I think, at the time, or 20, because yeah. I put in 53 years. But I worked for Hammond and Everly in their engineering office across the street. We were doing all the square footage for Metro Sewer for every lot in town. Yeah. So it was a real encompassing job and then moved over to the courthouse. And I was with Metro until I ran for office in 91, maybe. Then I yeah. became elected in 92. Yeah, so you, you, you won quite a You won more elections than most people in town. I think I won eight. I think Lori won more. Did she? Yeah. Because Lori, yeah, Lori was four years ahead of me as far as being elected. Oh, really? Yeah. So you didn't want to run one more time just to, to tire? 
Well, I'm 73, and I thought, you know, if, if you don't if you don't back off now, you're going to die in, yeah. your, in your disc. So, yeah. yeah, it was good, but, it, you know, it's something that you re I really miss. I miss the activity and the people. I don't miss going to work every day by any means. I yeah. love doing nothing, but um, I was very blessed with a family of people that worked around us. The courthouse was a fun place to work. We started so much, Lori and I got involved with the Christmas decorations, and and then we did St. Patty's Day lunches, and we did Halloween root beer floats for the kids. Yeah. We did a lot of things that made the courthouse a fun place to go rather than to pay a bill. Yeah. And that was real important to us because people pay a lot of money in taxes, and so we were trying to give back. And I can remember you were talking about our friend of McDonough earlier when he was a council of commissioner, and we had a club, and it was called the Social Club. And if you belong to the social club, we paid a dollar a payday or something into the social club by choice if yeah. you wanted to. And so Brendan always said, so what happens if you're non-sociable? Do you not get to go to the sociable, <laughs> the sociable thing? Yeah. But he used to kid us all the time about that. But that's what paid for the, uh, the activities that we did and the decorations were paid for by the silver bow and the trees. But all the other functions that we did, we actually had the social club that paid for it. Yeah. So it was a good time, and the lights on the buildings. One year I had 23 buildings uptown with the roof lights, and it was so nice, and now they're all gone. They're all yeah. faded away, huh? Well, uh, we didn't know it at the time, but the hail, when it hails. Oh, is that what happens? It's those bulbs, and it knocks the filament out of them. Yeah. They're just kind of like that window that's just yeah. sitting there asking for it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to throw a rock at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I remember when you worked at Metro, I can't even remember where how I'd get in there at the courthouse now. But we used to go to your office. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty neat that Jeff got to go visit his mom at work. Because that yeah. was something, you know, I could see my mom. I didn't want to see when she was at work. She was at school. Yeah. You know, she was a, a teacher's aide or whatever. All right. But uh, we always had, after when we were at Central, Central Junior High, we had a, we'd walk home, but we'd always had to go to your office go first to, to office. show the report cards. Yes, exactly. So I used to get the lecture from you before <laughs> I got the lecture from my mom. Because Jeff would go in there. Jeff's, if Jeff had a B, it yeah. was rare. And he never studied. You know, yeah. And, and, and if I had to be, it was rarer on the other case. You know, I, my report card in junior high, I remember I had a couple of D's one time. And I remember you, you gave me a little lecture before I got home and my mom gave me the lecture. <laughs> it was more than a lecture from my mom. And I laughed the day that Dan Foley, I don't know if you were still at, you didn't do senior year at Central, did you? I transferred OB yeah. after sophomore year. The year that they uh, come up to register to vote because I was running for office so they were able to vote for me which was kind of cool Dan yeah. Foley brought him up from the government class yeah yeah you were the, that was the first election yeah. that I got to vote in yeah that we got to vote for you yeah. I was on the ballot and it was against uh oh, what was uh Kearns yeah Mike Kearns yeah. and there was I think he was the last one that made it to the general but when I first ran that year there was four gentlemen three, three gentlemen of me really yeah and you, uh, all the way up until the very last one, and Ben Thielen filed against me. Oh, did he? The last year I was there, and he said, I don't think anybody should get a free ride. Uh, so I ran into Ben at Mother's Day Mayfair at the Civic Center, and I was with Jeff and Jason. And so we're kind of going down the aisle, and we're three abreast, and we're walking. And I saw Ben, and I said, I'm going to go talk to Ben. And so he looked at us like, oh. And I walked up and I shook his hand and I said, Ben, I'm running for auditor. If you don't have any preference, could you vote for me? And it broke the ice. Yeah. I mean, it was wonderful. Yeah, that's it, pretty funny. Yeah. that uh, I think when you ran was the first time I heard, because uh, you were always Danette Hartwick. Yeah. And that was the first time I think I heard 
Harrington because you threw that name out there because that was a pretty powerful name for an election to get out there to Harrington. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was, and I was changing it as I after my divorce to Harrington anyway. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty good shovel on the the cards, and yeah. the cards were well received. My my uh, little handout cards, and if you do something on a card like that, people remember it. Yeah. You know? So that's an important clue if anybody's ever going to run for office, do a nice handout card. Yeah, they do. A lot of them you'd see the county seats and stuff like that yeah, are different. Miles. But the, yeah, the nickname one was great. The though. nickname one. And then Lenny McCarthy ran for clerk and recorder one. She put a Pobatitsa recipe on the back of it, which was her mother's Pobatitsa recipe, which oh, is really? kind of cool. But usually it's just, you know, regular stuff, miles or your license plate numbers. Yeah, I could. I'd like to have my grandma's uh, recipe for pasties. That'd be a good one to put yeah. on the card. But uh, I don't. I think uh, my mom was uh, too offended when my dad wanted her to get my grandma's recipe because she had her own recipe, yeah. and we like grandma's better. <laughs> and so yeah, a little dent in her heart. Yeah. So I think it it might be alive and well with her her brother's kids down in. In, in uh, Yuba City, California. Oh, okay. So they, they we might have recipe. we might have some hope of having it because <laughs> Grandma Grandma Jean's pasties were the best pasties I've ever had. I, isn't it amazing what you remember? Yeah, and she had the recipe for so long. It was you know old, old family recipe, and my little brother Bobby changed it because he didn't like carrots. So then she started leaving <laughs> the carrots out of it. We're like, hey, we like the carrots. We like the carrots. Yeah. <laughs> but Bobby got his way for the so the last you know, last 15 years or so that she made pasties. I remember my mother making pasties, but my father liked meat pie better. So yeah. she put it in a meat pie and just the crust on top because he thought pasties were yeah. dry. Meat pie was always a little bit wetter. It had a yeah. little sauce or, you know, a little congel yeah. of the flavors, and he liked the meat pie. So we, we used to have meat pie like once a week. Dad, did, did you have a set like that, mm -hmm. what you'd have every day? Well, my father week? was meat and potatoes. It didn't care what it was as long as it was meat and potatoes. The potatoes were boiled, fried, baked, yeah, pan fried. He always pan fried egg or bacon, not bacon, eggs and potatoes together. It was he had a scramble before they ever were on our menu in town. Oh really? Yeah, he loved them. That's what he cooked himself at home. Yeah, meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes and eggs. Yeah, well, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, <laughs> spam. We yeah. used to use a lot of spam. Yeah, and you said you roasted your potatoes. Yeah, in the garden sticks. Yeah. Just an outside fire? Or? Yeah, you know, they never cooked. Never yeah. cooked. Uh, you'd put a stick in them, whittle the stick to a point, and then you'd yeah. hold your potato. And then the stick would burn, of course, and the yeah. potato drop in the fire. So the rest, of the, <laughs> never. the rest of the night you're trying to dig the potato out of the fire. And it was you'd bite into it, and all you had was black all over your face <laughs> because it was never cooked. It was uh, damn near raw. Yeah, I are roasting marshmallows and hot dogs. I never <laughs> did the, the We did potatoes. Potato. Must have been cheaper. And then they had the fireplace up in the Bell Diamond. Do you ever walk up there and see that gorgeous yeah, fireplace? Yeah, well, I know what you mean. Yeah. We used to take a can of soup and go up and start a little fire in that fireplace and put our open our can of soup with a like a beer opener, punch yeah. some holes in it, and then put it on the fire. There was a grate of some kind that we could put, and we'd have hot soup for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> but that was kind of cool, so we did that a lot. And then when my dad worked at the Badger, I was telling Jeff and V last night, I used to go up because they had rabbits in the yard up at the Badger. Yeah. So I would bring something up with some carrots. I'd bring him up a cupcake or something that my mother made for his lunch, and uh, I'd go to I'd walk from our house up over the tracks by Ida's, up over the hill, up to the the Badger. Yeah. And sit maybe while he was on his lunch hour or sit in the engine room. I used to go in and he always had a little piece of chalk for me that 
that was too short to ride on the, the wheel. Yeah. So I could come home with a little piece of chalk. <laughs> That's, yeah, these memories and and that place, I think it's worth fighting for. I do too. I mean, you know? it was a it was a really blessed neighborhood of generous people filled with gratitude. Yeah, yeah, and just to, and to see it now the way it is is kind of sad. But yeah, it is. It, it could be, but I can also envision looking at that. I envision something that could be great. Yeah, yeah, you could do a lot with it and make it a a place to hang out or you know, a place to do music. Uh, somebody told Jeff that they're thinking of putting an amphitheater behind the Albertsons where they're moving all this dirt from. Have you heard that? I heard uh, somebody mention something like that, but I don't know if that's in the plans or if it's something that they really? would rather have. You know, because it's uh, the plans on that were kind of secret. Because remember, they kind of they came out with a artist rendition, you know, three four years ago. Or, okay. You know, I don't. Think and I they had something, but I don't think there was an amphitheater. It was just like lay a couple lakes. And uh, the cleanup there, I went to this, this gentleman had an art show down there. He's a, he's an, an environmental engineer and he did, made some art with some stuff that he found down in that, in the, the north side tailings there, which are behind, uh, between Casey Street, you know, right by, above that, that walking trail they got there. And that place is, I, I never realized how bad that is. That's where they're taking this out. Oh, really? It's just, the dirt there is, I mean, it, it's different, color, you know, it's like blue or green all the time, you know, really? you know I'm, I'm kind of colorblind to green, so I'm not sure exactly, exactly. what color it is, but yeah. it, uh, it just looks, it was just in a lot of rain, you know, because it was Sunday or Saturday night, okay. which is nice. And there's a lot of, it was really wet and it just looked terrible. And you look at these houses that are right next to it and they're, they have to be on that. There's some trailers oh, that are on that. Exactly. And I don't think they've even talked to the people who live in those trailers about what they're doing. Wow. You know, they'd almost have to be, you think they'd almost have to be relocated just because it's got to be awful to live there. The, yeah. The levels that they of of uh, lead and different things have got to be just off the charts for them. Of course, you know, growing up in the Gulch, uh, the boys used to always swim in the copper pond. Yeah. And I can remember Harry getting in big trouble because he'd come home and there'd be nothing left on his jeans but the rivets. You know, yeah. they'd be just rotten all the way around it and the eyelets on his tennis shoes. And we could never go there. So we used to, the girls went over to the cement plant. And there was a wash that yeah. when they emptied the trucks, they would make like a berm. And then the water ran in that all the time because they used to flush out the trucks. Yeah. And so we could go wading in the cement plant, but we couldn't go to the copper ponds because the boys wouldn't let us in. You wonder <laughs> how any of us ever had children, you know, with all the stuff. Yeah. So we didn't, don't glow in the dark. Yeah, and well, Paul Panisco and I used to always joke, uh, we call it the therapeutic cloud over the... Over the pit. Over the pit. And it would it'd sit there in the morning, and then it would just kind of slowly come down and settle over town. Yeah. And we'd go, we'd talk about selling, <laughs> bottling some of it up, you know, and yeah. trying to sell it, because we said we called it therapy, because it cured. It, it's either it's either killing us or, or keeping yeah. us from keeping us alive, one or the other. And when you look at the obituaries <laughs> in the paper for the, the area that they said is so totally toxic to life, the obituaries, there's a lot of 80-year-old people that are, and beyond, yeah. that are... Don't idle or, you know, in their late years. And you think, so how toxic was all that stuff, all that dirt I played in and made jewelry sets out of the iron pyrite rocks? And, yeah. And you lived in it. And we had that big gusher that used to come from Centerville after the cloud burst, when we had cloud burst. Yeah. I mean, it was so strong coming down off of the hill between Ida's house and mine. It would roll. Well, all the garbage went in the, the wash there. Yeah. It would move an old washing machine. It was really? that strong. Mm -hmm. And it was probably like yellow, too. It was yellow water. foam. Yeah. We called it Indian foam. It was yeah. yellow foam. Yeah. yeah. 
And then, then we'd go after it settled down, and it was kind of the clay stuff. You'd go and make little pies out of it. Yeah. See if it was clay or something, and it was nothing but mud. Yeah, and today you wouldn't let any of your kids anywhere near no, that. But no. But well, maybe once in a while. <laughs> but that's what that and that's yeah that's how it, it was. And and you know you look at pictures of Butte, you know from the seventies and eighties. Yeah. And you just see how that hill how, how ugly it was with all the this you know it was if you didn't know any better. Yeah. You know it look, look ugly like there's a line at the end of uh, Mile High Mile Deep where he. He calls it the dirty rock bastard. As he okay. looked up at the hill, he says, "You got one of us, you dirty rock <laughs> bastard. You're not getting me." <laughs> so it's not it's not dirty anymore like that. Yeah. Some spots are kind of dirty, yeah. but it's uh, you know it's at least the hills were like where, where the yellow hill was then. We played on that. Now yeah. you can't. The yellow hills like where it was it is useless now. Yeah, it's the just ones useless that, ground. the ones in the gulch are there still. Uh, there's nothing but yellow like over from our house to where I live. Yeah. Is that big wash that came down? Yeah. Uh, when they ran the railroad tracks over there. Then there was a wooden water box that came down there. When I was a kid, we used to play in the water box all the time. It was like a wooden flume, yeah. and it went under the railroad tracks. So it was taking water from that windmill side, and it would bring it down. And there, were, there was houses when before I was born. Above ours, there was like two flats where there was houses on, from berries that went east. Yeah. And so that water was a like a wooden flume. And it was great to crawl, crawl in there and go under the railroad tracks. It was probably 30 feet. Yeah. But you could go in on this side and come out on Renwell side on the other side of the hill. Wow. And it was great. And raspberry bushes, uh, their uh, lawn guy used to throw the raspberry bushes over the dump, and we'd go up and pick fresh ras- raspberries that were grown on the dump hill. Oh, really? Yeah. It almost makes you feel bad for the kids today that are on their oh, PlayStations and stuff. Right? Yeah. God, we were out every day and... A lot of it was mischief, but a lot of it, you, fi- you found something to keep you busy as dumb as it was or as silly as it was. You were yeah. occupied. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it was getting in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, truly, <laughs> truly. And that's all right. Everybody needs a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Well, Danette, I appreciate your time. You're I've more had than you for welcome. more than an hour here. and That's all right. That uh, It was good to talk to you. I haven't uh, sat down and just talked to you for this long in a long time. It's been a long while, probably since I was lecturing you over something. Yeah, well, the two Ds. I think I had a D <laughs> in English and a D in theology. <laughs> At a Catholic school, that's not good. Yeah, and and, and, and went on to be a writer <laughs> with a D in English. Mrs. Wolaszewski was tough. She was both She was these. tough. Wasn't she a delight, though? Yeah. She was a great teacher. Yeah, great so, you know, teacher. I come out of there, I'm like, I th- felt like I learned stuff. I just yeah. didn't do very good on the test. <laughs> it, you but, absorbed it. Yeah, but uh, somewhere along the line, I learned it to be, and, and I, was, I was okay at it at high school. Oh, you're very good. You're very good at what you do. <laughs> but uh, And as long as it's making you happy, that's the most important thing. Yeah. And, of course, it would make me really happy if we could save them from dumping in the gulch. And, well, at least we're going to try. I hate yeah. to sit back and whine and cry and moan and groan and then say well we should have instead i'd rather go protest it see if we can save it and if we can perfect if we can at least we tried yeah and there's a meeting set for october 17th and i saw a memo from harco this weekend that they want to have the plans finalized by october 11th oh really oh good so (laughs) but then our meetings on the 17th that's my father's birthday october 17th maybe maybe he'll bring some good luck to the meeting yeah hopefully we'll uh we're going to give them hell anyway. All right, we'll give it a best shot. All right, well, thank you for Thanks, your time. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for your time. Yeah.